Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. I'm off this week, but here's an episode from our archives to tide you over until I'm back. A report released by AgriFood Economic Systems suggests the declining number of mid-sized farms in Canada jeopardizes the rural institutions that have traditionally supported farms and farm families. The report explores the potential consequences of the decline in the number of small and especially mid-sized farms. Research lead Dr. Al Mussel will share the results of the report and how it impacts rural communities and consumers. The RCMP is advising producers to take all the necessary precautions against theft from their farms. There is often a focus on larger items or equipment, but those small portable items are expensive and quite easy to steal. Staff Sergeant Devin Pugh will share some tips for protecting those important items, large or small, and why it's important to report all thefts immediately. After the break, Al Muscle. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Al Mussel is the research lead with AgriFood Economic Systems. Al, the policy paper that's just been released explores the implications of uh, changing agricultural demographics. So tell us what is changing and if you've got any insights as to why that's happening. Our structure of farms in Canada, based on a census of of agriculture, I, you know, I think everybody knows that uh, there's a there's a smaller number of farms uh, over time, and with a you know relatively fixed arable land base, that gives you a, you know a larger average farm size. But what seems to be less clear is, is sort of the structure of that. Like like are are all the farms getting just a little bit bigger, or are some of them getting bigger and others getting smaller? And and uh, what what does the disappearance look like? So we looked at a at a, uh, a time series of the uh, census of agriculture information on farms according to economic size um, class, and it's it's really interesting. You know, basically what you're what you're looking at is um, you know the smallest. Uh, categories of farms, economic size, are going down over time. And of course, that's been going on for a while now. Um, virtually all the growth is in farms uh, exceeding uh, one million in farm cash receipts. But that middle size category, let's say between a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand in uh, farm cash receipts, is in steep decline. So what prompted the creation of this particular paper on this subject? So, you know, the, the, the motivation uh, behind this was, was first to, you know, to make sure we understood, um, you know, the changes in farm structure. And, and it's interesting, this, this, you know, very similar change has been noted by, uh, by other people. Um, uh, about a month and a half ago, we had a, we had a short policy note that, that looked at, um, some of the drivers around this dynamic of, you know, basically the increase in average farm size is entirely accounted for by increase in size of the large farms. And, and some of the concerns around um, what that, what that means in terms of uh, barriers and entry around machinery and then, and then by extension uh, land, uh, in, in this longer paper, I want to take a look at, you know, if if the middle is, is really disappearing out of the distribution of our farms, what does that mean in terms of our ability to um, 
retain agriculture as a cohesive community and some of the institutions uh, that are built to support that and some of the norms of, uh, of uh, you know, that we take for granted in terms of uh, how the agricultural economy works. So, so you know, a few examples just to, uh, just to give you a bit of a sense. Um, we treat um, farms as though they're extensions of households. And there's a long history of that that goes back to the, the settlement period in our in our history. And it's one of the reasons that agriculture was tied to immigration um, and and uh, treated uniquely as joint federal provincial responsibilities. Uh, you know, because it has to do with families and households and settlement, and and that exists um, uh, to this day. Well, uh, as a consequence of that we treat farms differently from a property tax perspective. You know, we have a, we have a residential rate for property taxes. And then what we turn around to do is for farms, we rebate back some portion of those, of those taxes. No, no other segment of the economy is treated that way. Um, when, you, when you think about the status of agriculture in terms of regulations, so we've, we've, uh, any special consideration or in some cases exemption to things like uh, transportation rules, um, workplace safety rule, labor rules, um, some types of environmental rules, et cetera. And again, that's, that really relates back to the treatment of the, um, of the farm as an extension to the household. The, the worry is, you know, as we get the expansion being in the larger and larger farms and the decline of the mid-sized farm, and, you know, the, the significance of the mid-sized farm being, you know, should be large enough to provide a family um, a living, but uh, you know, but but just being superseded by by larger farms, um, it it removes or, or erodes away that connection between the household and the farm, and and I worry that as this occurs, we lose some of that sense of community that we have in agriculture, and in particular how agriculture presents itself to the rest of society. Can you uh, tell us about some of the specific implications of these changes with the shifting demographics for agriculture and, and agriculture stakeholders as well? Well, we, you know, there's, there's, there's many. Uh, we, we tried to list um, a few of them. Uh, you know, property taxes, if, you know, farms, if, if the connection between households and farms is uh, becoming eroded or stretched, it's going to be harder and harder to... Uh, to, to manage the system of tax uh, property taxes that we have in rural municipalities, that's that's the one case. Yeah, and another is is just sort of um, uh, the difference between um, well, in, in the ag business sector, you know, we we have um, ag businesses spread through rural areas because traditionally you needed that network, you know, whether it's uh, feed or, or fire machinery dealers or, or what have you, uh, that network was out in the rural countryside to be able to serve the customers because the customers are all going to be sort of individually small. And, and that's, that's how that business um, operated. But, you know, if, if, as we depart from that, and, and hopefully we're not departing too much from it, but the data seems to suggest that we are, Look, more and more of the customers are just going to go straight to the corporate headquarters to order their feed, to order their, well, feed, vitamins, uh, uh, chemicals, machinery, go, go, go down the list. Um, that connection with the local community 
I worry will will erode and, and hopefully not be severed. But but that's um, that's the type of um, the type of concern. You know, there's there's, there's others. Uh, kind of a related point is um, is liquidity. You know, like a, the the way our markets um, operate, spot markets. Um, you know, the notion of liquidity is I've got something to sell. And, uh, and I can find a buyer that wants to buy at that price, but uh, there's enough other transactions in the marketplace that, that the act of, of me selling and that person buying doesn't unduly influence the overall market price. Uh, but hang on, if, if you've got a few very large sellers, and we, we already have only a few very large buyers in a lot of cases, then you worry about the you know, individual transactions uh, could move those prices. At the same time, um, you know, I, I think we have to acknowledge that some of your larger producers um, worry about their ability to deal in local areas and in the volumes that are of um, are relevant to them, and, and find buyers that can can deal with those volumes and the pricing that goes with it. So, and, and I, I feel like we're only scratching the surface here. So, there's, I think there's a number of disruptive changes that we have to be prepared for. Dr. Al Mussel is the research lead with AgriFood Economic Systems. He'll be back on our next episode to share some of the societal implications from the report and how it would affect the communities and consumers. After the break, Saskatchewan RCMP Staff Sergeant Devin Pugh will talk about efforts to reduce the number of thefts occurring on farms. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The RCMP would like to reduce the number of thefts occurring on farms. With me is Staff Sergeant Devin Pugh. And Devin, while there tends to be a focus on those larger items, there should also be attention paid to those uh, smaller objects, especially things that are quite portable. So anything that's, um, I always refer to them as attractive items. So things that can be converted to a profit fairly easily. So when I, when I talk about that, uh, tools are a big one. Um, you know, every uh, tractor combine will likely have a, a small toolkit on the outside of the tractor or even inside. Uh, those tools can be uh, converted uh, into, into profit fairly easily. The other items are more, uh, the bigger, more expensive items are, you know, GPS uh, displays, uh, GPS uh, systems and complete uh, are, are some the more attractive items that we see more often getting stolen. So what are some of the ways that uh, you can make your farmyard more secure from thieves? One of the big ones is uh, lighting. If, uh, if um, you know, motion sensor lights are, are a big deterrent, Obviously, when you're talking about thieves, they, they obviously like to work under uh, the cover of darkness and to be not detected easily. So if we take that away from them, especially with the motion sensor lights, that's a big deterrent. The other uh, real tool that uh, that I like to see is uh, uh, trail cameras. Uh, trail cameras can be purchased fairly inexpensively and put up, and they're a very easy thing to uh, introduce as far as a security system, taking photos of uh, people that are in and around the property. And I understand that any kind of detailed records of equipment and property are very helpful to the RCMP. And and I guess that also includes everything from uh, photos and serial numbers. It's really important when people are reporting stolen items to have some sort of identifiable 
description of them. So, you know, if we talk about GPS units, uh, the uh, serial number that's attached to them is very important to be able to record. And then just even just a simple description, if there's any identifiable markings on, uh, let's say, tools or hand tools, um, that's something that's really important to provide to the police. So we often come across or we'll do an investigation and reveal a, a lot of what we believe to be stolen property. And sometimes it's difficult to find the owners. So if um, they have the identifiable markings, it's uh, just that much easier to get it back to the rightful owners. And also it makes it easier when there is a bust or a large amount of stolen goods that are recovered. Exactly. Or if uh, you know we do uh, come across people that uh, we believe or we have suspicion that the uh, property is in their possession and is stolen, it's just that much easier to be able to say, yes, you know, we know it's stolen because serial number matches the description of the stolen property that was reported to us. Devin, tell us about the RCMP database that you have in place for these pictures and serial numbers, and and it's helpful to have that information right at hand uh, immediately when it's needed. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, right across Canada. Every police uh, service in Canada has access to it. And uh, we uh, record stolen items in the system where it can be quickly and easily uh, cross-referenced. And as long as, as long as we do have, again, it's important to record those serial numbers so that they can be added to that system. It's the only way that we can keep track of trends and uh, areas where we need to focus in on if there's a higher prevalence of theft. So, again, it's just so important to please uh, report whatever it is, even the small thefts off the farm to us. We just recently uh, started a online reporting system. So if the value of the property is under $5,000, you can simply report the theft directly uh, on the internet. And you don't ever have to even uh, go into the police detachment or station or, or call the police service. Yeah, it's a very uh, easy system to go on to. Um, and all you need to do is just, uh, if with the RCMP, is go on to the uh, Saskatchewan RCMP uh, website and you'll find the link to the online crime reporting section. So some may think that those small thefts aren't as important, but you still want people to report them no matter how small they are? It does two things, obviously. It uh, saves uh, some um, police officer hours to uh, to collect the information, but it also provides uh, convenience to the person reporting. And uh, the whole goal with that system is to to promote people to report uh, the crimes. The last thing we want is, uh, you know, a trend or or, a... high prevalence of theft uh, in an area that we don't know about. Staff Sergeant Devin Pugh is with Saskatchewan RCMP. This is the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of November 8, 2021. Canada's agriculture ministers agreed to a shared vision for the next five-year agricultural policy framework, which will begin in April 2023. The Guelph Statement, named after the location of the meeting, has five priority areas, but plenty of negotiations will be needed to fill in the details over the next 16 months. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said the new round of business risk management programs could be a tool to encourage producers to move faster on new technologies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The union representing workers at one of the largest beef processing plants in Canada gave strike notice. The United Food and Commercial Workers said 97% of workers voted to support a strike if an acceptable contract can't be reached by December 6th. President Tom Hesse says a strike could be accompanied by other actions, including the possibility of calling for a consumer boycott of the beef industry.
The country's cattle producers were represented at the Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Canadian Cattlemen's Association Director of Policy, Fawn Jackson, was part of a panel discussion. She said farmers and ranchers operate on roughly 40 million acres of grasslands, and if those acres are managed, it can store carbon. Ranchers can also reduce emissions through improved practices, such as using feed additives. Jackson said agriculture can play a role in the fight against climate change. CN Rail is on track to support its Hay West campaign to send hay to drought-stricken prairie farmers. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture said CN pledged up to $250,000 to help cover shipping costs and it hopes the donation spurs others to give. Farmers from the East Coast as well as Ontario and Quebec have donated hay to be sent out west to help feed livestock. A significant slowdown in sales of plant-based food products is prompting Maple Leaf Foods to reassess its strategy. The Ontario-based company said it has seen a marked decline in performance in the plant-based protein category, which it believes may suggest systemic change in the extremely high growth rates once expected by the industry. Maple Leaf, once known primarily as a packaged meats company specializing in products like bacon and cold cuts, has worked at rebranding itself as a protein company in an effort to capitalize on the rise of veganism and plant-based eating. The B.C. Dairy Association denounced the abuse of animals seen in video footage of a B.C. dairy farm released to the public by a group called Animal Justice. B.C. SBCA alerted the B.C. Milk Marketing Board that it launched an investigation of the farm in question based on that video evidence. The board conducted an inspection of the farm and based on that immediately suspended the farm's milk production license and launched its own investigation. There are some familiar faces in Aaron O'Toole's shadow cabinet. Alberta Member of Parliament John Barlow will serve as the agriculture and agri-food critic. Barlow had served in the post under former Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. Saskatchewan MP Randy Hoback will serve as shadow minister to international trade. And Quebec MP Luke Berthold is the shadow minister for health but also has a strong background in agriculture. Parliament resumes November 22nd. Sastel is joining forces with an Australian ag tech company, Smart Paddock, which specializes in livestock monitoring. The solar-powered Smart Ear Tag is already being used on livestock herds across Australia. It is equipped with GPS tracking, accelerometer and temperature sensors, providing livestock farmers with real-time location tracking and important health information. And Canadian Food Grains Bank has been placed on the list of top 10 charities in the country that have the greatest impact. Charity Intelligence List examines impact per dollar donated to an organization. It's the fourth time that the group has been named to the list. Food Grains Bank is a partnership of church agencies working to end hunger. In the 2020-21 budget year, it provided $49 million of assistance in 33 countries. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.